Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, guys. Uh, we're in for another new episode, and today's podcast is with Dr. Greg Kelly, who's a naturopathic doctor, and he is the lead formulator for Neurohacker Collective. So he's the grand poobah that sits up at the top and gets down into the trenches with his team and actually designs these amazing supplement stacks in a bottle because every formula that these guys come out with is based on what Greg Kelly likes to call a systems approach. So they don't just look at, okay, let's just throw this one supplement at something. What they like to do, and he explains this in the podcast, they like to look at the whole system affecting whatever process they're trying to impact. And we know that the body has lots of different pathways. There's lots of different redundancies. So they try to design these stacks and they actually do a really good job designing these stacks that go at solving a problem through multiple different pathways, um, which I think is, well, I mean, it's magic with their stuff. Uh, Qualia Mind was the first supplement they came out with. I'm a huge fan. I use it quite often when I have a lot of work to do. Um, and then I'll go through periods when I'll use it for weeks on end. Um, always taking two days off in between, of course, as they like to tell us, because we want to give the receptors a rest. But today we're talking about vision. We're talking about the eyes. We're talking about eye health. We're talking about all of the challenges that have really affected our eyes over the last year and a half. I mean, not just the last year and a half, let's face it, computers, uh, too much screen time has been a thing in society for a long time, but definitely the last year and a half has put extra pressure on that front and even for kids. And so they've come out with this great formula called Qualia Vision, uh, which I've actually been using for a little while. And I feel like my eyes feel a little bit better, uh, but you know, I've only been using it for a couple of weeks. We talk about how they designed it, all the different um, ingredients and why they make sense in this formula. We move on. We also talk about NAD because, of course, you can't have a conversation about health and longevity without NAD um, and how Qualia Life addresses NAD supplementation in people. And last but not least, we do touch on Qualia Night, which Greg uh, likes to refer to as a nighttime nootropic. So it's a packed episode as always. Um, I don't think I told you much about Dr. Greg. Um, Dr. Greg is a naturopath, as I said. He's also a published author. He's published a bunch of different papers. He's a speaker. He's a um, he actually uh, sometimes makes an appearance on the the Collective Insights podcast, which I think is the Neurohacker Collective podcast itself. He's a great guy. This is actually the second time I've interviewed him technically, but the first time was when I just had a YouTube channel. So that's an old uh, kind of video you'll see from a couple of years ago if you're interested. Uh, and that one, we were talking more about Qualia Mind. If you decide you want to give this a shot, you're going to want to go to neurohacker.com and use promo code NN15, NN15, and that will save you 15% off the price of your supplement. Cool thing about Neurohacker Collective, these guys are so confident in their formulas that they give you a 100-day money-back guarantee. So although the supplements are 
you know, they're priced appropriately for what's in there. It can look a little bit expensive at first, but I got to tell you, um, they stand by their product and their stuff is amazing. If you get value from this podcast, of course, you know what to do at this point. Please, please leave us a review, share it with your network, with your friends, with your family, anybody who you think would get value from it as well, because that helps us to get the message out. And if you're looking to connect with me, you can do that through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or you can find me in uh, on MeWe, if you're not a Facebook person, in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also find me on Instagram, just under my name, Natalie Nidham. And if you're a video person and you happen to be listening to this, then you can actually also check out the video on YouTube. So um, actually, as you can see, you guys, I'm in a different setting for this in introduction. I happened to be away. It was time to record the intro. So here I am. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. I totally appreciate you guys. Uh, please keep the comments and the questions and everything coming because I love hearing from you and enjoy the episode. One last thing before we get into the episodes, folks, is our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Primadine. Primadine is... Spermidine. It is a food-based supplement with an extremely high safety profile that halts six of the nine hallmarks of aging. It is the purest on the market with zero for fillers and a formulation that also supports the endogenous production of spermidine, our active ingredient, through a prebiotic. So the only ingredients you will find in this beautiful capsule are defatted concentrated wheat germ extract. They've removed the fat so to avoid any chance of oxidation of that fat because these are very delicate omega-6s. So in this case, it's better just not to have them all together because they get damaged so quickly. Um, and a fructooligosaccharide to selectively feed specific bacteria in the gut biome. For those of you who are into this kind of thing, these would be the fuso and bacteriitis bacteria in the gut biome. That's it. That's all you get. No excipients, no fillers, none of that, none of that stuff. Um, and what's also incredible about primidine or spermidine in general is that not only do you get all the amazing under the hood benefits of DNA protection, folding of proteins, autophagy, and, and more, you also get the visible results. And people will find after a couple of months, usually, I mean, almost always, I'm actually amazed at the number of people, men and women who report this, that their nails are stronger, their hair is thicker and fuller, and their skin looks amazing. So if you decide that you would like to try this for yourself, you will want to go to primadine.com, use promo code BIONAT15. So that's B like Bob, I-O-NAT, N-A-T-1-5-15. That'll give you 15% off your entire purchase. And that promo code can be used over and over again. Thanks for listening. And if you decide to give it a try, don't forget to let me know. Let me know what you think. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. Welcome, Greg Kelly, to the podcast. It is so great to see you again. I think it's been two years since we last saw each other at Paleo FX. Yes. Yeah. It would have been what, April of 19? That was the last one they held. Yeah. And that was probably, you know what? That was the first video interview that I'd ever recorded with anybody. 
that oh. is this short little, we did, I think we did like a 20 or 25 minute interview that I ended up putting up on YouTube. And um, I looked at it the other day. I'm like, oh yeah, we did pretty well. I mean, not that, you know, not that what I do was so technical, but it was actually pretty good conversation. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, yeah. thank you I for- know, When I look back at past things I've done, it's like, geez, I could have done a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I rarely re-listen to anything that I do. Once I've done it, I hand it off to other people. I just, I just save myself the agony of, of saying, oh, why did you say that? Or whatever the case may be. Anyway, it's, it's the thing with us podcasters, right? So anyway, welcome to the show. I now have a real podcast. So I'm super excited that you agreed to come talk to me today because I still love your products. And I just think that, you know, we can never learn enough. About, and you guys are always doing research. And I'm always so sad when you put out these emails that say, you know, we're looking for 250 volunteers. And I'm like, me, 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 me. I'm the kid at the back of the room going, pick me. And you're like, yeah, no, you're in Canada. We're not picking you. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so anyway, but I keep hoping one day somebody will slip and send me stuff anyway. Anyway, um, for people who don't know you, I mean, you've been the voice of Neurohacker Collective for a long time. You host your own podcast as well, right? Neurohacker Collective has a podcast called Collective Insights, but yeah. our we have two co-hosts, um, Heather Sanderson, she's an ND, and Jamie Weil, so his is more on consciousness, it would okay. be his channel. And then uh, occasionally I'll be like the guest host. Oh, so, nice. um, usually it's more related to a new product launch, and um, someone wants to learn more about it. But um, yeah, so it's it's actually a you know I. Um, it's one of my favorite, I think Heather's voice, especially I, like, I love having a smart woman being as knowledgeable and such as, you know, a competent host uh, yeah. as she is, because, you know, most of the podcasts I would listen to are the, you know, the Dave Asprey's and the Ben Greenfields who are fantastic, mm -hmm. but it's nice to have that female voice, um, interviewing some of those same guests. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's a different perspective, I guess. We have a different style. So, um, okay. So why don't we just very quickly, because we have a lot of material we want to cover. Yep. I've, just, I've just crossed a few things off my list here. <laughs> um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you came to be the dude at Neurohacker Collective that does all the cool stuff that you do? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to shrink this really, like make, go through this super quick. But okay. so basically I was... Um, an officer in the Navy in the 1980s, Reagan years. And um, around 80, probably like August of 88, I had to give a year's notice. That's just kind of how it worked or you would get new orders. And at the time I had just started, like I'd been into eating well. I was the, the, the weird officer on the ship that would <laughs> like bring all his own food and, and decide like I, I all of a sudden started learning about Chinese herbs and yoga and so like a lot of things now we would bundle under complementary health or alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to get out and just kind of like see what was out there. I, you know, at that point I'd gone from, you know, like my parents being in charge of what I did to like, <laughs> you know, college where everything was fairly organized to the military. And in that time period, I, I made my way to Hawaii, started taking classes in Thai language and culture and eventually got a grant to do a master's degree. And it, it just turned out that my emphasis ended up being on, um, whoops, oops. My computer was just saying it was gonna restart, sorry. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, 
like long story short, I, my master's degree ended up being in like Thai, um, like what I would call nutritional and medical anthropology. So like how foods and herbs were used in Thai traditional medicine, which is very strongly overlaps with Ayurveda. When Buddhism yeah. came, Ayurveda basically came as well. And during that time period, I um, started taking a meditation class, met some naturopathic doctors, and it's like, wow, they're doing everything that I was trying to stitch together <laughs> on my own. So I like finished my master's degree, went to, the, I was in the first class at Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. Yeah, it was in Scottsdale, Arizona back in 93. And then, um, you know, came out the funnel as a naturopathic doctor. I think it was my my last year at Thorne, who's a pretty big name. Back then they were- The supplement like, company. Yeah, Thorne Research. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were looking to hire their first set of student reps at the naturopathic school. And, you know, somehow I fooled them into thinking I would be the best candidate. So I started to go to, you know, the different trade shows like environmental medicine and the anti-aging my last year in naturopathic school. And then, you know, when I first went into practice, that's, I was also on the circuit, you know, working uh, for Thorne. And then um, like on that circuit, eat right for your type was like one of the hot books in that 96, 97 time period when I was going to a lot of conferences and um, Peter Diadamo, the same, he just, I fooled him into thinking that he would like me to work with him. Oh, stop. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> like I, you know, so that my journey ended up, you know, working with Peter in the height of his popularity, doing a lot with blood type, basically seeing all the new patients that funneled through. And at the time his waiting list was like over a year long. It was crazy. Wow. And, um, and then, you know, so I, I subsequently stayed, you know, still doing things for Thorne, you know, so I've, I've just been in and around, I think, you know, more than the doctor end of the supplement world since the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And with Neurohacker Collective, I got here in part because I'm a huge fan of co complex system science. And like, I, I fundamentally believe that's the best model for understanding how our brain and body work. And one of the founders, Daniel Smachtenberger, he's like a complexity science think tank guy. So it was just really appealing to come mm -hmm. and work for a company where the underlying model wasn't more is better. It's let's try to figure out how all these like interacting pathways are adapting to the world around them and see if we can come up with products that help support that. Yeah, so. that's amazing. And that really is reflected in the products that you put out because you're, you're never, you know, you're not putting out a one or two or three even ingredient product fundamentally because, and I think people often miss that about you guys. They're like, oh, well, why would I want to take this? There's like 27 things in here, you know? So, and it's like, I think a big part of it is not understanding this whole complex systems approach where, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, where you're there's so many different ways for the body, like the body has all these built-in pathways to get to the same place. And I mean, it's part of the reason why as a species, I think we're so successful is we don't have just one option. There's a lot of different ways to get to Rome or whatever it is. Yeah, there's, you know, so like I would, I like redundancy. So that's redundancy is an, uh, like a principle within complex system science. And so what you would see within, you know, like repairing DNA or transcribing DNA or brain neural networks, or even making NAD, there's always for something important built in redundancy. 
And then there's checks and balances. So, you know, the, the, like fundamentally getting something up to a certain level is, you know, is different than keeping it there long-term. And once you get it up there, there's usually a check to make sure like, okay, I don't like this, my cells don't want it to go higher than this. So like what's, what by virtue of me pushing it really high, am now I taxing something else to prevent me from getting it higher, right? So there's, it's, it's a lot more thoughtful, I think, when you start to, you know, take into consideration that it's just not a more is better system. For sure. Well, and the ability to, or designing something that taps, that helps to tap into those checks and balances as opposed to overwhelming them. And, yeah. you know, in a way we were kind of talking about that earlier too, when we were talking about NADIVs, which in a sense is, it's just this massive influx of this one nutrient or compound, if you will, that is a full on override on the system. And it seems that certainly, I mean, in some cases it shows huge benefit, like people with addiction issues and stuff like that. But, you know, there's still a lot of questions on, you know, the, whether, whether we're going to call them high performance or longevity or biohacking enthusiast who's running in there thinking, this is all sunshine and roses, even though it doesn't feel all sunshine and roses, which could perhaps be a sign <laughs> yeah. that it's not all sunshine and roses. Uh, but anyway, we weren't, we weren't really going to delve into NIDIV so much. We have a list of things we're going to talk about. So I'm going to take it upon myself to get us there. And we're going to come back to NAD guys, because at least in some ways, because of quality of life. But first there's, when we talked last week, just to touch base before, mm-hmm. That was when there was this big announcement that the FDA was now making NAC NAC a drug, and they were pulling the supplement off the market in the US, which of course has caused this insane stampede of all these people and health professionals to try and stock up as much as they can on, on NAC. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, which is everybody sitting there going, well, what are you talking about? Like NAC is this incredible nutrient. It's a precursor to glutathione. It helps my body to make it. So I don't have to take glutathione makes all the sense in the world. And here's the FDA taking it away. And after the last 15, 16 months of mayhem that we've all been living through, everybody's going, you know, crossing their arms going, see, I told you they're just after us. They're just out to get us. And this is yet another example. And you presented me with a very different perspective on this. So I thought it might be nice to share it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, NAC and acetylcysteine, just in case there's some listeners that wouldn't have made that connection. Oh, there might be. Um, you know, so it would seem like it would be the definition of a dietary supplement in the U.S., right? It's been like one of the, the things here is if, if something was sold as a dietary supplement pre-1993, so it's, that was when the Shang was passed then it's grandfathered in. So there's usually nothing else you need to worry about. It's grandfathered in, it's always a dietary supplement. And NAC was definitely sold pre-1993. But where where the issue comes in isn't that the FDA is a bad guy or they're doing something that's inconsistent with how they've approached things. So again, this is oversimplification, but there's basically like three categories of things. There's dietary supplements, there's drugs, and there's things that aren't necessarily in either. So think of the racetams, like those nootropics. They're not not approved drugs. They're definitely not dietary supplements. They're this gray area thing that's, um, you know, just hovers, right? 
So NAC is interesting in that the FDA's position is that in the 60s, it actually became an approved drug. Like someone would have done the paperwork to file and get it approved as a drug, which makes sense. If you look at the really old NAC studies, it's because it's a mucolytic or like the glutathione connection and rescue for acetaminophen, right? It's still used in hospital ERs for that. So it's always been from the FDA's perspective in the drug category. And the, the big issue is that once something's in the drug category, the FDA does not have a mechanism to move it out of the drug category. So that's the same issue with CBD. Right. Someone petitioned a new drug application for it back around 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. So that's what the FDA keeps telling Congress. Like we don't have a mechanism to take something from that and now make it a dietary supplement, no matter how much you would like it to be and how much it's being sold as that. It's in our, our view, it can't be this because it's already that. Okay, but then, so then how's it been sold as a dietary supplement all these years? Were they not paying attention or? So that would be part of it. Part is like periodically they have opinioned that this isn't a dietary supplement. But what often happens unless there's actions taken, it, their opinions are just ignored. And some of it also, I think, might be because um, like NAC started to get, like I saw it mentioned with COVID quite a bit. Oh. And so some of it might have been that. But basically what happened in the summer last year, I think it was July, they sent out warning letters to you know, a handful of companies or more and just said, you know, essentially, we don't view this as a dietary supplement. So warning letters aren't an action in the sense that it's not saying you have to stop selling it, but mm -hmm. it's just letting that company know we, this is our take on it. I'm so, watching you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they, they still haven't made an official thing, but what happened recently is that Amazon and so presumably probably Whole Foods as well decided to remove anything with NAC. Preemptively. Preemptively. Yeah. So there's right. no, there, the FDA hasn't said you can't sell it. Um, and the truth is there's a lot of things in that gray category that are sold. Like, I mean, that's why racetams you can find mm -hmm. on Amazon or websites. Yeah. It's so a, like yeah the, I guess like the simple thing is just think it, rather than conspiracy and the FDA is out to get us, it's more bureaucracy and they're just following their limited understanding of what they can and can't do. Yeah. I mean, although there's a teensy possibility of their attention being drawn to it because of people talking about using it for COVID. Cause I have, yeah. as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I know people that people were nebulizing it, right? The NAC. Yeah, there's also been some preclinical where it's been combined, I think with a few other, anyways, for sure that COVID has been a very sensitive subject for the FDA. That's yeah. it's, it's prompted more than warning letters. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, it's, it's gotten people into a fair amount of trouble in on a couple of occasions. But I, I like it. So for me though, it's just not a new thing, right? I think around mm -hmm. 2013, they shared the same opinion just quietly. And um, the council for responsible nutrition, which would be the advocacy group for the dietary supplement industry, they, they're taking a very different position and they're, you know, working to get the FDA to change their mind. And so it, like at this point, I know what it's we did. It's not over yet. 
No, no, no. All it's they've not done a is done like, deal. This is just, I see. So what it is, is it's Amazon and Whole Foods kind of going, yeah, we're getting out of the game while the going's good because we don't want to get stuck with a whole bunch of stuff. And it, which is kind of. Yeah, I would think it's more like a warning letter isn't the same as, so like I would just use, my terminology might not be precise, but they've sent warning letters, but there's also what I would think of as an action where they contact a dietary supplement company and say, you know, stop selling this immediately. A warning letter is more like, hey, this is our opinion on this and why we think this might not be, you know, prudent to sell, but they haven't told you not to sell it. Right. It's very different from like the early nineties was a very different time. Like supplement companies, then the FDA could, you know, I, I know people that own companies that the FDA came in unannounced and just, you know, took all of some product off the shelves and said like, like, you know, you're not selling any of this anymore. So a warning letter is not, you know, anywhere in that same category. So I think it's Amazon being conservative, but Neurohacker Collective has also been conservative. So we had, we have currently NAC in two products, our quality of life, which is our healthy aging product and in our immune product. And what we did back, I mean, I, I did this probably in November, I reformulated those to remove it and replace it with L-cysteine instead which is not quite, it's not as well studied as NAC, but it does most of the same things. And the, the truth is it, most of the immune studies where L-theanine, which we think of as a nootropic, yeah. has been combined with something with cysteine for immunity, have used L-cysteine, huh. not NAC. So, I mean, there are good human studies, especially for immunity with L-cysteine. So anyways, nice. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, think, that's so interesting. It's a much more nuanced conversation than they're most just of them are. <laughs> uh-huh. Most of them I are. Yeah. Of them, like what, what ends up like, I, at least what I try to do is not be as tribal on things, right? Like rather than, yeah. you know, just taking one side initially trying to like understand if there's a nuance here and NAC, I think um, will play out for a long period of time. Maybe not with Amazon. They seem to have already <laughs> made up their mind. Yeah. But at least with it, you, the Council for Responsible Nutrition and the FDA, I imagine this will play out over at least another year and a half before any actual decision is made. Okay. All right. Well, so then there's still time. Although you guys may, you know, like, I mean, that's an interesting concept that you found a workaround to pull yeah. the NAC out, to look for, is there an, I mean, it's a little bit like those redundant pathways, right? Is there another way to help the body to achieve the same goal, tapping into maybe a different pathway or another combination right. of products that will get us the same effect? Yeah. And we're, we're like on a regulatory speaking sense, we're a low risk company at this mm-hmm. point in our, you know, so our, like our executive team has a, a low appetite to take on risk if it's not necessary. And, right. you know, my feeling was, you know, our formulas are still going to be as vibrant making that switch. So it, you know, it wasn't worth taking on what, frankly, we would view as low risk since it's still being worked out. Yep. Okay. Amazing. All right. Well, that's the NAC discussion, guys. I've learned some stuff about NAC cysteine. So I hope you did too. So we were going to talk about a few different products and we're going to leave Qualia Your Mind kind of off the table today because we talked about it last time and you've got a couple of really interesting, well, I mean, all your products are interesting, but we were going to talk about the vision product that you are, you have developed that yes. is all about supporting eyes and 
and resolving or supporting eyes with the issues of eye strain with screens, that kind of stuff, which I think, again, coming out of this year and people who've never spent so much time in front of screens have been glued to screens. Kids have been glued to screens. So let's talk a little bit about what the issues are there and how yeah. you've gone about it. So, yeah, so you no, you'll have an interesting approach to it, Greg. <laughs> the um, product is Qualia Vision. It launches um, mid June 2021. So, um, coming soon. <laughs> yeah, coming soon compared to when we're recording this. And, um, yeah, so it, Vision's this weird overlooked thing that, you know, so you, in some countries, my nearsightedness, so myopia runs close to 90%. Singapore is one that I've seen that. In the US, it's probably like, 40 to 50%, but it, it, it keeps increasing every decade. And the solution is, you know, what I think of as palliative, right? Oh, that's corrective lenses or, you know, mm-hmm. aging eyes, maybe some kind of a corrective surgery. And then um, screen time is a completely different eye issue. And so what's, you know, so the first, what I think of as computer monitors, like I, I was in, at an engineering school in Boston in the early eighties. You know, so even at that time, we had, you know, not like desktop computers, but monitors for computers hooked into the mainframe on campus. And within, so th- those really made their way into the workplace in the late 70s. And literally within a year, there was complaints about what we'd now call digital eye strain, basically yeah. a clustering of symptoms related or that were being experienced by people that spent at least a couple hours a day looking at these monitors. And so that like digital eye strain is not a new thing, but it was a new thing that hadn't occurred with TV watching or, mm-hmm. or not to the extent that it was a thing. And so what's happened since that late seventies is, you know, you know, the TV technology has changed. Like, I, you know, my TV set in this, in the, when I was in the Navy was a little black and white. With you a know, dial, like, you had to yeah, get up to change the channel. <laughs> and then, you know, with smartphones and iPads and, you know, even on laptop computers and others, the the um, lighting, like the illumination they give off is a lot brighter now than it was even 15 years ago. For sure. So what's happened is that um, one technology has made screens put off a lot more light energy. Mm-hmm. And we've, like you mentioned, spent more time on them, you know, like essentially progressively each yeah. decade. And this last year it has just been crazy for a lot of people. I, um, Nielsen, the TV rating service in the U.S., it was March in 2020. In their survey, they estimated the average um, person, and at least in their like polled population, was spending just over 13 hours a day in front of screens. Yeah, well, and that's just TV because you know what's well, happening. No, no, these now. were all screens, like oh, this, all screens, yeah. like including iPads and phones. Yeah, and stuff. computers and yeah. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed a guy recently. Uh, his name is Jake Steiner. Have you ever heard of his organization? It's called EndMyopia.org. Oh, I've heard of the organization. Yep. So that's his organization. He's based in the Philippines. He's got some really interesting information around this as well. And his his comeback is that you know the eye and the eyeglass lens industry is not entirely as necessary as it could as it needs to be. And you know he speaks to he explains the issues and this is maybe different than the light, but that whole idea of fixing something like fixing your eyes on something and creating some kind of a muscle spasm in, in the eye. And then, you know, instead of changing your behavior, changing the way you do things to allow those muscles to relax again, 
just throwing on glasses, which actually make it worse and exacerbate yeah, the problem. So the, like, kind of like the high level vision overview is like, you have the front of the eye, yeah. you know, so the cornea, the lens, the back of the eye, which is the retina, and the retina is actually part of the brain. Yeah. So what ends up like the simplest sense is light comes in the front, the cornea blocks out some things like most UV radiation, hits the lens, and then the lens, the, there's a circular muscle around that. Exactly, yeah. changes its shape so mm -hmm. that light will land exactly on the retina. Right. And when you think of things like nearsightedness, it's not landing exactly on that, which is like usually then viewed, okay, well, we'll just correct the power of the lens. But part of the reason that's happening is, and this is again an oversimplification, but that's okay. <laughs> infants are not born with 20-20 vision. Yeah, he talks about that. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They learn to it because the the eyes are essentially not seeing. It's the brain that's seeing. And it's mm -hmm. that combination of eye-brain communication that processing that allows us to see. And so what seems to be the case is, and it's called near work, you know, so think of reading a book or looking at your phone or iPad, right? It's being held really near your eyes. When young kids do a lot of near work, it almost causes their brain to learn to be short-sighted. Right. Now, conversely, there's been a lot of studies where kids even being outdoors for 60 minutes a day and spending time playing in that environment, which causes their eyes to have to, you know, look far away, look near, right? Like work it out much more holistically. That's one of the strongest things to prevent nearsightedness. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So that like working a muscle, right? It's allowing a muscle and it's full range of motion. Right. And, and that process of shifting our eye and keeping it in focus from far away to near or vice versa is called accommodation. Right. So that, that's the fancy term for it. But basically think of the accommodation as mostly that muscle that reshapes our lens <coughs> to keep things in focus. And when we look at screens, what we're doing is we're like literally wearing that muscle out because yeah. screens are a form of near work. And so that muscle it, it, by the end of the day is just exhausted. And you could almost say quivering, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, ex it's a smooth muscle. So it's different than our, like our bicep, but yeah, like it's, it will always be pulsating, but the way it pulsates is going to be very different at the end of a day, frankly, after even an hour watching right. a movie on an iPad than it would have been before that. Man, and then I you wish... also have three other or two other muscle groups right. that are being hammered. So one is um, like the pupillary reflex. So yeah. the pupil, you know, opens and closes to let more or less light in. And so that's also a muscle. It's actually attached to the same ciliary muscle that does accommodation. And that also ends up just quivering mm -hmm. at the end of a day. It's, it's exhausted. And then, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's um, twitching almost. Yeah. Right? That's not the precise thing, but yeah, it's like heart rate variability and heart rate being constantly varying. These muscles are constantly variable varying, but the way it happens, it just shows they're really fatigued by mm -hmm. the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then the last group of muscles, it's called um, convergence, but basically to look at something near us, we have to rotate both of our eyes in. Right. So those are muscles that attach to our eyeball. Those also get worn out. So one big part of screen time is that we're just exhausting these muscles. Another then big piece would be blue light. And mm -hmm. it's not like we're getting um, 
like huge amounts of blue light that in and of itself would be harmful. Like looking at sunset, we're probably seeing as much blue light, but the quality of it's different. Right. If we look at, you know, the ocean or the sky, what we're seeing is light that's been essentially reflected and diffused. Right. When we're looking at a screen, it's coming directly at us with neither of those two things happening. Then screens also have like flicker, which causes that's exhausting. And so there's all these these interrelating factors, um, the light intensity, the color of it, the eye muscles that then cause most people to experience one or more symptoms that are just grouped in this digital eye strain. So I think for the audience, I think of it just as like a couple main things, like the blue light piece, the muscle piece. And then the third piece is Blinking is what keeps the surface of our eyes healthy and comfortable. And when we look at a screen, what we, we're not aware of it, but our blink reflex really slows. So instead of blinking 20 times a minute, it may be four or five. And I'm so that, yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah, our tears have, you know, lipids that lubricate the front of our eyes and antioxidants and blue light on its own is stressful for the front of the eye. So between that stress and not blinking as much, the front of our eyes become really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So when we developed quality of vision, those were the things like, you know, not just like blue light protection. Is there things we can do that will help with like the quality of tears and blinking and that will help with these poor muscles that are just being worked to death. And so that's so interesting. I mean, I think this this segment needs to be taken out and sent to every new parent out there. Because, I mean, you see it yourself, right? I mean, the, the, the number of small children that you see, like by the, as soon as they can, even before they can hold a screen, right? It's now they're in front of these iPads or iPhones or whatever the case may be. And, and yeah, like, you know, sometimes you'll come across a new parent and they're like, oh my God, look at how little Joe can get in and out of apps. Like, isn't that so cool? He's only three years old. And it's like, there's a dark side to that. <laughs> Not to mention the dopamine system, like all the other reasons why we want to limit that. But the just the eyes alone is reason enough to, you know, have like major blocks, you know. Yeah. um, So. Like even like we'll just take the blue light piece. So some blue light is filtered before it gets to our retina. You know, some of that happens in our lens. As we get older, the lens yellows. So we essentially develop- Our own blue light, light blocking. <laughs> yeah. um, but kids don't have that. Young infants, young children don't have that. That They haven't built that filter yet. And then we also have what are called macular pigments. So those are the lutein, the zeaxanthin that, you know, so the photoreceptors, the, the parts of our retina that essentially capture and respond to light. That's where mm-hmm. like vitamin A comes into the picture. Yep. Or beta carotene. Before light gets to that, it essentially has to pass through this pigmented layer that I would just say, like, think of it like shade, right? So mm-hmm. these, these other carotenoids, lutein, zeaxanthin, they're the ones that provide that shade layer. And so they're the natural filters for blue light. They're also really great antioxidants. So like when I think of carotenoids and, and this like, you know, it's humorous, but it really isn't is like most people think of beta carotene as being good for the eyes or carrots. Right. Right. And beta carotene cannot get into the eye. It can't cross that barrier. 
No. So, um, but these other carotenoids, lutein, zeaxanthin, they can. And so, like, you know, so you have carotenoids that can get in the eye, ones that can't. And most things in the body, there's some competition for. So right. carotenoids compete for absorption. And so taking beta carotene with these ones that you want. God, it competes with the ones that competes, you want. Right? So you're actually making the ones you want less bioavailable. So when I see, you know, like what I would say is well-intentioned eye formulas that combine, you know, beta carotene with these um, macular carotenoids, it's like, wow, that person didn't really think this out very well. Or they, like, understand, or they don't understand the full yeah. biochemistry well, of it all. And then the other thing is, you know, beta carotene's only role in the eye is as a as provitamin A. But the truth is almost no one in US or Canada Inverse. is vitamin A yeah. deficient. Well, and, or, and also like they don't, most people are very inefficient at converting beta carotene, beta carotene into vitamin A, right? I mean, I've, I've, I've done, I've run, I don't know now how many genomic panels for people and I'm not sure I've ever come across somebody <laughs> that, yeah. that efficiently converts beta carotene into the form of vitamin A that the body actually can use. Yeah. So it's, yeah, uh, so it's, it's, and the other thing with, um, so the way like blue light I mentioned can be irritating to the surface of the eye, right? That's more like antioxidants, oxidative stress, but it also can cause what's usually thought of as like um, oxidative stress to the retina. Right. And, and the reason is, so the, the think of it as like a, a pigment, vitamin A in the eye is, it would be classified as a pigment. The, the fancy term is chromophore, but yeah. like think of it as a light, light absorbing pigment. And when light hits that, it actually toggles the molecule and creates oxidative stress when it does. Mm -hmm. So blue light is the highest energy light that can hit our retina, it can get to the photoreceptors. In, in part, because like I said, the front of the eye does a great job at screening out UV. And the way energy works in like, you know, when you think of the electromagnetic spectrum is things with shorter wa wavelengths, you know, so those would be the blue end of the rainbow yeah. as opposed to the red end yeah. have more energy and more energy me also means more potential for harm. Yeah, so exactly. Like you, you don't hear about red light as being harmful, right? It's a, just a lot less energy in that wave or blue light, you'll sometimes see listed as high energy um, wavelength blue light or high energy blue light. And so what happens, like if you wanted to um, protect a, like a, a mouse or a rat, and a mouse or a rat, and they're different than us, right? Because they're nocturnal and they don't have mm -hmm. necessarily the same, well, they don't have the same color vision as us. They see in, in two color channels, we see in three. Right. But the, the gist of it is, creating a slight vitamin A deficiency is protective when they're exposed to blue light stress. Right? Because you're now re like reducing the ability to create oxidative stress in the back. Right, right, right. So even vitamin A, when someone's exposed to a lot of blue light, at least based on animal studies, is probably not the most prudent thing until we know more. Okay, interesting. Okay, so let's talk about your formula and how it supports sure. the eye. Let's, you know, cause it's coming out soon. I mean, I'm a little pokey at, you know, I like to record a lot of podcasts and have them. Yeah. In the bank. It makes me sleep. It helps me sleep at night. So I never, I know I'm never going to wake up one morning and not have a podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. So it's, um, but, so it may so have, got, 
Yeah. So it's mid June is the scheduled, but let's talk about the formula. Cause I'm now I'm dying to hear how you, what you put we in there. We talked about the macular pigment. So lutein and zeaxanthin, and there's a few, you know, so what I think of in the supplement world, there's vendors that sell branded ingredients and usually they've been the exact one that's been studied and then, you know, generic. And yeah. so, um, for the lutein zeaxanthin combo, there's a couple that have been really well studied, but one called Ludamax 2020 has been studied specifically, their emphasis has been on screen time, blue light, and things related to that. Nice. So they did a, a six month study. Um, and in Neurohack, we're much more like a performance optimization company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where we tend to focus more on research that's in healthy people and getting them to perform better. Right. Where a lot of the lutein research is, you know, aging, unhealthy eyes. So anyways, what Ludamax 2020 is, um, they had a study that usually it's called the blue study, like, um, but it was six months, young, healthy eyes, all had at least four hours of screen time a day. And then they measured a whole bunch of things related to digital eye strain, stress, sleep quality over both three and six months. And it, it rocked. It just did a great job. So that's, that's one part of the formula. And like I said, those would be our natural blue light blockers. So super hard to get enough of those in the diet especially if we're really stressing our eyes with blue light. And the other cool thing about these macular carotenoids is they can also, just like they can get into the eye, which is a part of the brain, they can get into the brain. So lutein actually concentrates more than any other carotenoid in the brain, especially the visual parts of the brain. Hmm. So they've also been studied for cognition. So that's one. Um, Another one we have is a bilberry extract and so bilberry reputationally, night vision would be like, you know, it goes back to like stories in World War II about the UK fighter pilots using bilberry jam before their missions at night. Now it's, really? yeah. So like the night vision is more, I would say reputational at this point. There's been definitely studies that have suggested a benefit others that haven't, but my guess would be, it would depend on like, the quality of your night vision. Mm-hmm. If it's already good, it's not going to get better. But if it's not, bilberry may be something that could help. But what bilberry has also been studied for is like, again, these digital eye strain complaints. Um, and I think of it as something that helps the back of the eye. You know, it's great antioxidant. The pigment is important for the back of the eye. But it also has been studied for both the muscles and the, the surface of the eye. Right. right? So it's more... Like this isn't in either or, but where lutein, zeaxanthin are much more retina and brain, bilberry is much more front of the eye and these like helping these poor worn out muscles, right? So nice. So that's, um, and then long-term, like the other nice thing with bilberry and lutein, zeaxanthin, they've all been studied in kids. Um, Actually like a long-term study of bilberry going back quite a while, help kids improve some degree of their near, nearsightedness over a year. Really? So, so you, the formula is actually safe for kids? We, are you we, think or? So all the ingredients in it are things that have been given to kids. Okay. So we would say like for sure, like if someone said like we're essentially selling it as something we're very comfortable with 10 years and older taking okay. it, Yeah. you know, younger than that, like if, if my, my brother said, I want to give it to my six-year-old, I would, you know, like, let me, you know, 
like help you through this. So I, I wouldn't be concerned because of the safety of the ingredients. Okay. Um, the other thing with bilberry, so we use, um, this wouldn't be interesting to most people, but bilberry has historically been one of the most adulterated plants in the, the dietary supplement industry. And it's because unlike blueberries that are easy to cultivate, mm -hmm. bilberry is very difficult to cultivate. So most of it is wild harvested. So there's mm -hmm. always, and this goes back to the nineties, there's always been more demand than availability. So okay. because of that, there's a lot of adulterated bilberry. Right. So, you know, some, in some cases, I'm completely comfortable going with a generic ingredient, but bilberry we use, it's Myrtle Select is the branded ingredient name. It's the most clinically studied bilberry. I think they've done more than 60 studies on it. Hmm. And it's like for something like bilberry, I just personally wouldn't be comfortable not um, or buying an ingredient that wasn't branded and authenticated. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So we have bilberry, we have lutein, yeah. we have the zeaxanthin, those yeah. two being packaged up as the Ludiomax. Is that yeah. Ludiomax 2020. Ludomax, right. 2020. Anything else? Yeah. Like, so we've got, tiers? so the, said something about tears. Yeah. Are so, um, yeah, so another thing we have is astaxanthin, right? Which, which is phenomenal for so yeah, many things. Astaxanthin, again, has been studied for digital eye strain, but it seems like its main action is in muscles. And astaxanthin has also been studied for athletes to help support their muscles and, and probably some of the same mechanism. It's just really great for making mitochondria perform better. Yeah. So it, it really That's helps awesome, with man. the performance of these overworked muscles. We also then have, um, so in Ayurveda, their classic eye tonic is amla fruits which, oh, um, vitamin C. Yeah. They're a great source of vitamin C and tannin. So that would be like almost what they, they call it a Rasayana, which loosely translates as a rejuvenator, but okay. it's the rejuvenator for what we would think is the eye and the visual part of the brain and within, like, if you translate their notion of it. So we have Amla. And again, I would tend to think of that as much more of a front of the eye. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have goji berries, which is the um, traditional Chinese medicine, eye tonic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that would be thought of as something that nourishes the eye. Mm -hmm. And goji is, at least as far as I can tell, the richest food source of zeaxanthin. So it has these, like naturally has these carotenoids, but then it has other things that have also been studied for the eye. And so I think a goji looks like it's both a front and the back of the eye ingredient that is interesting you know because you you know it, it got a lot of press at some point and then all of a sudden people are like oh but it's a nightshade so then it got the other side of the press and i think it's again it's one of those less is more foods you yeah. know i think it's one of those things you don't want to be eating it by the pounding it by the handful which people do right they're putting goji in everything goji tea and goji berry salad and goji jam <laughs> like goji no matter wherever you turn um and you know never really thinking about how something that's so potent and so tiny there's a reason why it's so potent and so tiny and maybe a more tactical use of it might be more beneficial <laughs> I think that's the way for most things like yeah. honestly so when um like like slight detour when i was studying Thai language, I got a grant to go to Thailand for a summer, take an intensive language course at the University of Chiang Mai. And I 
my roommate was a Canadian professor at University of Chiang Mai. It was his house. And then a, a Thai gentleman that also lived there. And so do you know what lychee are? Yeah, like lychee fruit. I love that stuff. So yeah. lychee would come into season, like it, maybe it was like July. And then right after that was um, longan, L-O-N-G-A-N, long, dragon's yeah. eyes. They came in after, but they're a similar, you know, small fruit that you peel and it's a white fleshy thing. And when one of those would first come into season, like some of my Thai friends would literally eat themselves sick, yeah. right? <laughs> Including my roommate. So, I've done that. Yep. And so, yeah, I think, you know, a, a lot of these things, it's, um, especially if we're taking them long term, we don't need to do these huge amounts. So that like goji is another. Um, yeah. And then we also have... Uh, um, ginger, ginger root. And the yeah. reason is, so you know about piperine being a bioenhancer. Yeah. So it, in that original study, ginger and capsaicin, the, the original study that looked at them as bioenhancers for carotenoids and ginger performed essentially as well as piperine as a bioenhancer for these, you know, carotenoid molecules and um, has like um, at least in animal studies, effects on the lens and the front of the eye. So we put that in as both an eye ingredient and as a bioenhancer. Because okay. um, again, like, I just think we want to do more to make sure we're getting, you know, the most of these macular carotenoids into our system. And then we also have taurine, which, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, nootropic, mood, sleep, it's, you know, um, you know, in a lot of energy drinks, but it's Art. the most <laughs> concentrated amino acid in the eye both oh, in the retina and in all other parts of the eye and actually does a lot as a blue light protective. So the more blue light we get, the more we're drawing on taurine. Interesting. Okay. And then the last piece is, so one of the things I always look for, especially with amino acids is how much is in an average diet. Mm -hmm. so you have some things like L-tyrosine, glutamine, crazy high amounts, but we're talking like, yeah. you know, four or five grams. You got tryptophan, which is six to 800 milligrams. So, you know, almost like a step down from that. So much easier for something like tryptophan, you know, with what's in a supplement to move the needle. Right. And then things like taurine, it's more like 60 to 120. And like, you know, a bodybuilder's diet might have 400, 500. So in with a small amount, you can move the needle a lot. You could basically for a vegan completely satisfy their dietary requirements with a modest dose of taurine. And so we, we're a vegan company, at least in terms of, you know, how we make our products and certainly some of our clientele. So we put taurine in because of how important it is for the eye. And because for like the truth is most vegans have 0, 0.0 dietary taurine. Cause it comes from red meat. Animal products. Yeah. yeah. Carnitine, taurine, choline, creatine. Those are just, not things you're going to get much of on a vegan diet. So, you know, which like then my job is to make sure I'm filling in that gap. Right. For our customers. Okay. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you went with an oral supplement. Mm -hmm. Would eye drops ever be an option? Maybe not with every single one of those ingredients, but I know like the, the eye is just like this living incredible matrix, right? It's, and I'm curious, like, could there be like an someday, like an eyedrop addition to, to the product that might help? Well, definitely, 
things like eye drops are soothing for the front of the eye. Yeah. But just like there's the blood brain barrier, there's the blood retina barrier, right? Okay. So things in the front of the eye aren't going to get to the back of the eye. Right. right. There's, there's two fluid filled chambers sitting between those two. Right. But even to, for feeding the front of the eye and addressing, you know, the lubrication and that whole piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are um, definitely things there. And even, I mean, I've seen some, um, studies where polyphenols or things like that to the front of the eye can be comforting, right? Cause it's a big part of that discomfort is we've just overburdened the mm -hmm. natural protective mechanisms. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is there's also, there's a couple of these repair peptides like thymosin beta four, which mm -hmm. is a repair peptide for the body, for muscles. And that's, you know, it's an immune peptide does a lot of different things, but TB4 eye drops actually can be quite beneficial for certain eye conditions and you want, I want, you know, as I'm thinking about it now, all this talk about muscles, who, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty big molecule, honestly. It's like, I think it's 43 amino acids. So transdermal absorption at that level is pretty marginal, <laughs> if at all. <laughs> so I'm, I'm answering my own question. I can't imagine it would, but who knows if that's part of what's helping with the eye with. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, it's all connected, right? So even if something doesn't get to the back of the eye, the back of the eye, the visual parts of the brain are still going to try to make sense of things. And anything you do that changes somewhere in that sense making is going to have ripple effects. For sure. So. Well, it sounds like an amazing formula. I can't wait to get my hands on some. And because, you know, like at this point, I spend so many hours in front of a screen every day. You know, you get all these amazing seminars and webinars and things to watch at night. I can't get myself to do it. Like I just cannot add another hour. It just, you know, if, I, if I'm sitting in front of a screen at night, it's like I'll watch one hour of a show and I'm wearing the darkest blue blocker. So I have, you know, basically destroyed any kind of whatever the, the, the people making this show <laughs> were thinking in terms of color and mood, I've pretty much demolished it because <laughs> I like, I've kind of blocked it all out. I'm doing my hour and I'm out, you know, like I just won't. I just can't bring myself to spend any more time in front of a screen than I already do. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Like I, my job entails being on a screen a lot, you know, I like live sports. So, you know, that if I to enjoy that, you know, most of that's like my teams are all Boston teams. I live in California. Yeah. So it means I'm yeah. watching them on the screen and um, yeah. And, but the, like another thing just for our listeners is um, there definitely are a few things that you can do to potentially get, like your screen time needs met and be less stressful. So one is the screen makes a difference. So a lot of like we talked about has to do with near work. So a phone or an iPad that we're holding close is going to at least you know, like blue light aside, that's not going to be off the menu, but the muscles don't have right. to work as hard looking at something seven or eight feet away as looking at something a foot away. Right. right. So, you know, rather than watching, you know, your next bingeable TV series on your phone, like, TV would be a better call. A better option. Yeah. The other thing is, um, yeah. So what they, like, it would normally be in a study about two hours to cause essentially eye strain symptoms looking at a computer. It's about an hour on an iPad or phone. So it's just yeah. a lot quicker to do it. And at least I've heard from a number of people binging something on their iPhone has been the tipping point to all of a sudden cause a lot of like I complaints that now that it's hard to get rid of. So Interesting. You know, like 
like the, the screen makes a difference. The other thing is um, like watching something with the ambient lighting being dark is actually more stressful than it being light. Yeah. So, you know, looking at your iPad, like in your bedroom at night oh with God, the lights on is way Jeez. more stressful for the <laughs> eye because the, like the light that's allowed in, that's our pupil. And, and that's a much slower changing reflex. So it's trying to make sense of both what's in front of us and what's around us. Mm. And when there's a huge gap, it can't make up its mind. You know, so we're just going to cause probably one more light to come in because it's dark than it would if it was light, which isn't good, right? Because blue light's oh. high energy. And we're also now causing that muscle just to like spasm because yeah. the lighting environment's hard to make sense of. Never mind what you're doing to your poor pineal gland that was thinking it was going to make melatonin. <laughs> yeah. So like blue blockers can be useful, but you know, like choosing wisely yeah. what screen we're, yeah. we're interacting with when we can, you know, doing a, a better job choosing our like environment. And then the thing I do is on my computer, I just have an app that every 20 minutes reminds me to just for 30 seconds, take a break. Nice. Then, um, What's that called? I, it's the one I use is called timeout, but there's a lot. I mean, there's a, I, one point I had a list of like five or six, but timeout's the one that for whatever reason I, I settled on. Um, on my phone, sometimes I'll, if I use my phone instead, it's um, I use stand up is the app. Okay. To remind, like to remind you to stand up. Yeah. Nice. So that's, it's a good, cause otherwise at least for me, it's easy just to like, you know, like hour or two go by and not have like, change how I'm using my eyes. Oh, listen, it, it, I, yeah. Like, I mean, if you don't get those reminders, it, and, and I know this also when you do a really, you know, when you do a really tough workout and you're a little stiff and you forget to get out of your chair and you go to get up after an hour and a half or something. And you're like, Holy geez, like I've seized or in my case, even like I'll find like if I'm on big days where I've been in front of my computer way too long and sitting for too long and I've ignored the <laughs> things to stand up and do whatever. Like I'll find it, it impairs my circulation, like my fetal swell, which is really unattractive and highly unpleasant and a really poor remind, big reminder that, you know, get your butt out of your chair. <laughs> so. And then the last tip in that 20, like say that every 20 minutes, the 30 second break, whatever um, yeah. people use, do something radically different with your eyes. Yeah. Look outside. So what, yeah. Yeah. So what I live, I'm fortunate my right outside my apartment door is the Pacific ocean. So yes. like what I try to do is then see at a distance, like force my eyes to, you know, both see really far away. And then um, Andrew Uberman talks about this. So he's a neuroscientist at Stanford that specializes in vision is we have basically think of like, like the main vision we're using when we look at a screen as being tunnel vision, right? We're yeah. like straight ahead. Yeah. And then we also have like what he would call panoramic vision, where like if we were if we were hunter gatherers walking mm -hmm. in the jungle, our visual system would have be as expansive as possible to detect movement either side, above or beyond. So what he would say is like when you take some of these breaks, practice on like this essentially wide panoramic type of vision, okay. which usually means for me like this sense of relaxing my eyes and consciously trying to take in more of what's all around. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And, you know, and it's interesting because in a city, it's a little bit harder to do, right? It's harder to get that long view that's not interrupted by a tree, another house, a car, you know, like you're seeing things along the way. So really forcing yourself to look up at the sky and look out kind of thing. Is, right. that's and 
really good. And what, cause what I, at least what I've seen, you know, people do is they'll take a break from work and then get on their phone, but that's not really a break. <laughs> Check their emails or Facebook or Instagram. That's even more, yeah. That's even more like near near work, right? You know, like exactly. Okay. So you, like use those breaks to do something that challenges your visual system in a very different way. And preferably not through a window, right? Like, I mean, even the window is filtering light to a point. So try yeah, it, it will, but like out the door. right now, when I look out my window, I mean, I can see, you know, like white whirling in the distance. Sometimes I'd be able to see a sailboat. You're still causing the brain and the visual system to like now have to adjust yes. that accommodation muscle. Yeah. So, yeah. But natural light would be like better to get some of for sure. For sure. Um, okay. So I'm, we're getting a little short on time and I do want to talk about quality of life because we had a really super interesting conversation about it. So, um, and so quality of vision, I'm, I'm down. I can't wait till it comes out. Um, quality of life. Uh, and actually, let me ask you one last question about quality of vision. Is it, is it because your formulas are often, let's just say they're so robust. So there's so many different things and you're so good at getting the actual dose that you need into, yep. you know, because I, you know, you can take 10, whatever, however many units of bilberry, if there's not enough, it's not going to get you to where you need to go. Right. Um, how many capsules is it? Is it like, is, so, it, is it another multi-capsule? It's like, actually our, our base recommendation is one a day. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, so like as an example, Ludamax 2020, in their sick, the blue study that I mentioned, their dose was 24 milligrams. So 20 of lutein, four of the zeaxanthins. Okay. And, um, but they also did another study where they compared 12 to 24 and, um, and there's been a lot of lutein studies on that. So what we did in our development, we tested um, one group with one capsule and one group with two capsules. And then we had them complete um, surveys of their digital eye strain symptoms. And we really expected two was going to work way better. And, and it really didn't, it worked marginally better, right? Like, yeah, we saw like, say for the one capsule group over a month, about a 70% reduction in their complaints. And in the two capsules, 79%, but mm -hmm. wasn't like night and day difference. So okay. Like for me, since I'm on computers a lot, I guess what I would recommend for someone, if they haven't been taking like lutein, probably for the first month, take the bigger mm -hmm. dose just to get the tanks refilled quicker. Yeah. And then you're probably fine just taking one after that. And for like a teen, then I would just say one is plenty. Right. So. Okay. Fantastic. Great. And for a little kid. Yeah. Cause you were saying 10 years old probably one is plenty. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's move to quality of life because there's something about quality of life that I didn't know. And I think, I mean, maybe other people know because they've listened to other podcasts and, um, and, I, but I missed those. <laughs> and we were talking about the whole NAD conundrum, right? So how do we supplement to support NAD levels in the body? We know that they decline as we age. This is not a good thing. And yet it appears that maybe pouring buckets of NAD into the system may or may not be the best idea for most people. Um, and so your formula, once again, you're going at it from many different ways. And so again, going back to this systems approach of supporting the body's ability to produce and recycle and support those salvage pathways, maybe downregulate CD38, which is this 
this um, this enzyme that just starts chomping through yes. too much NAD kind of thing. Like you need some, but not too much. Um, so maybe we could talk about that because you've chosen three ingredients, um, niacin, niacinamide, and tryptophan, and left out NR in the cold. And yes. so we, and you mentioned why, why it may not be all that based on a couple of mouse studies. So in the little, in the 20 minutes or so we've got left, maybe we can just power through that piece. Sure. So, um, <laughs> so again, I mentioned early on where a complex system science you know, mm -hmm. is like our model for how we approach things. And within that like construct, there's this idea, the simplest word would be just think of redundancy for really important things that the brain and body does. There's always a built-in redundancy. And so NAD being so important for, you know, making energy and being essentially food for the sirtuin enzymes that, you know, are anti-stress, anti-aging enzymes and, you know, DNA repair through another enzyme system and supporting immunity through that CD38, you yeah. know, route that you make. You know, so something that important, you know, we don't leave it to chance and just have one way of making it, we have three. And so one of those is like what we typically hear of as the NR or NMN pathway. So that's, it's called the salvage pathway. But um, just think of that as that's the niacinamide pathway. So anything that has niacinamide in the name or nicotinamide would, I guess, be the, yeah. the, the way it's normally said. So nicotinamide riboside, niacinamide, which is also called nicotinamide or NMN, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide. So th those are all in that same pathway. No matter where you enter it, they're all in that same loop. And then you have like niacin, like, you know, the flushing vitamin B3 yeah. has its own unique way of coming into NAD. And that's named after the, the chemist that found that pathway, you know, 60, 70 years ago, Price Handler. And then tryptophan. So the key thing to make NAD is the end part of the NAD, you know, the nicotinamide part, right? right? That's the molecule. That's the limiting factor. And so tryptophan isn't nicotinamide, niacin, nicotinamide, and all can be obviously readily made into that. But tryptophan essentially is called the de novo, but think of it as starting from scratch. It goes yeah. through about 11 steps and eventually the output joins in that same pathway that niacin is in just before NAD. So you've got these three different ways that it's made and different tissues rely unequally on those mm -hmm. ways. So, you know, in one tissue, maybe making it from tryptophan is the most important. In another, making it from tryptophan would only be a backup plan. Right. So anyway, because of that, like my, like when I look through all the NAD stuff and I still keep my, you know, like finger on the pulse of the research there, I just don't understand why more people wouldn't think like, oh yeah, it's obvious. We should be given things that support each of these ways to make it because they're all important. Right. As opposed to just saying, okay, NR is like the, the new one. sexy thing. So let's just <laughs> give more NR and ignore these other two ways. Right. So that's like, that's important. And then in all of these pathways, there's enzymes, right? Mm -hmm. So often, so the reason that NAD decreases with age, someone would have to convince me that's because we're eating less of it. Right. Like it's not like all of a sudden, you know, our input dropped 80%, but what we're making did, right? So that, that's now enzymes and the, the self-regulation of it. It's not exactly. you know, lack of yeah. the resource per se. And so 
like for me, when I design something for NAD, a lot of the support I would build in would be for these enzymes. So to nudge some to move faster and like CD38, give it like a nudge to maybe slow down and consume a little less. Right. right. So that you want to try to like, you know, like, I don't think, um, I think thinking we can um, over, um, like over control something, I don't think it's realistic. There's too many checks and balances in it. Yeah. No, but we're looking to toggle about. influence, if we will. Yeah. yeah. And so like the, the key, like the key thing in salvage. So what, what I find fascinating is no matter how you build NAD in the first place, when it gets consumed by CD38 or sirtuins or, you know, DNA repair, all of those things, the leftover is niacinamide, you know, so the nicotinamide, right? Like the right. old D3. So no matter how you made it once, you still have that as the leftover. And mm -hmm. to remake it, which a big part of what cells do is remaking NAD. Yeah, it's the whole salvage pathway. Like this is a recycle, this is a renewable thing, right? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, that's why in life we have ingredients like rutin or um, grape polyphenols and resveratrol, um, gynostema, which is a, like an herb from China. That's, that's where it fits in. It's also why um, HMB, which is usually thought of as like for yeah. bodybuilders is because that supports that that recycling wow. of it. Interesting. And then, I mean, I mean, you would know of AMP-K. I don't know if yeah. your audience will, but you know, AMP-K is something that's also, you know, in the same sense, sirtuins is a very interested or an interested thing in the longevity community. And AMP-K also works in that recycling pathway. So things like creatine and lipoic acid are really, you know, useful AMP-K promoters. So you'll see all those things in, in the form like of our life product that yeah. usually, you know, like if you would look at a classic NAD booster, it's got, you know, one of the new niacins and then, you know, maybe one other thing. Interesting. Yeah. So well thought out. So before we go, before we finish, you did mention that you'd done a couple of small trials with yeah. Qualia Mind and got some really interesting results because yeah, with Qualia Life, yeah. Oh, Qualia Life, sorry. Because um, which I think is so interesting because it again it speaks to bioindividuality. Like not everybody's going to respond the same to the same product. So maybe you could just talk quickly about those those two trials. Yeah. Those so two actually, if we have a second before getting there, you had yeah. asked like you know why we left NR out, and again that oh, was yeah. Intense. Oh, I forgot. Okay, yeah. So, like it it's, was for a couple of reasons. Like one, it's um, like NR is something that's made by Chromadex. They have the patent on it. So, okay. you know, when we made life, they weren't willing to sell it to us. We okay, could have so put NMN in. in. Yeah, so that was part of it. But part of it is, and this, this goes way back, is these are big molecules. And when we consume them orally, the breakdown of NAD in food starts to happen in our saliva. Mm -hmm. And by the time it's made its way to the liver, it's all been chopped up into the smaller it's molecules gone. and yeah. reassembled. So with NR, like going way back, I've seen studies from the eighties that indicate NR is, unless you give like huge doses that overwhelm the enzymes in the gut, it's just all broken into N and R. <laughs> and even the, like the original, one of the original studies that was published on it that looked so what they would do for something like that with two molecules, they'll put an isotope on one, an isotope on the other, right? They'll they double label them. it. Yeah. And then they'll track them. And what they found is 
very little of the NAD in the liver was because of both molecules getting there together. Okay. Right. So it did boost NAD in the liver, but so did niacin, so did nicotinamide, but not because it arrived intact. Mm -hmm. And then since then, there's been at least two other, you know, studies that have done these double labeling and have looked at, you know, in breast milk, in rats, in muscle tissues, it just doesn't get there in one piece. So Mm -hmm. it's getting broken into the cheap, like nicotinamide molecule way early in the process. Right. So then you're just ending up with nicotinamide. So why not just take nicotinamide? Right. Take that, you know, what I I would say, rather than spending a lot on this expensive ingredient that in my mind is unproven. Right. uh, It does what it's been touted to do and put that, those ingredient costs into things that help upregulate and do these other things. It's just intuitively sensible to me. Sounds, sounds like a plan to me. All right. So anyways, so, the two studies, so this is why so, there's no NR. Okay. That's why there's no NR. Yeah. Is in that, because at this point, I'm just not convinced there's value. Like I, I think it, it boosts NAD, but these other things do too. And so one of the reasons I can say that is because we studied life and measured NAD and then a bunch of other molecules in the NAD pathway on nine people in December of 2019. And on average, we doubled whole blood NAD with our product over four weeks, huh. which is like more than what NR has done, unless you give crazy high doses, like a gram of it a day. Right. And, um, and we also then like, um, you know, positively influenced a lot of the other things in the, these pathways. Positively influenced. That's a very nice way of putting it. But you were also talking a little bit about how there's a variation. So the yeah. average, you, you were saying like the average might be double, but there were people who were like super responders and people who were, not so much. Yeah. So my, so again, this would be like a, a neurohacker or collective belief. Like we tend to think of there's different pods. So yeah. there's super responders, responders, non-responders and negative responders. And that, that you could pretty much make an argument for most things that there's going to be some people in every one of those. Sure. sure. I mean, um, we see it all the time, right? right? And so what we do is we try to shift it. So we have more super responders than we would expect and fewer non and negative responders than we would. And if we can kind of shift things in that direction, then we feel like, okay, we've probably, no matter how much we continue to tweak the formula, we're not, we may change who the super responders are, (laughs) but we're unlikely to get new, like any more. Yeah. 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 So with, you know, and even in the NR studies, in the human studies, in the few that have listed the individual participant responses, you see a huge variance in response. So you would see, you know, some, what I would think of as moderate responders, you know, some average, and then some super responders. And we saw the same thing. We had one woman um, that hers were fourfold higher. And then we had a few people that was only like 30, 35% higher, right? So there was just this huge variance. And you have no idea why at this point, like there's and no, even looking, no, like, and cause it wasn't, it didn't match their behaviors. Like, so if you would just have said like, you know, like who drinks a lot, who sleeps, the, like it didn't match those things. It was completely um, non-intuitive. So, yeah. and, and we've been like, I, I've been in touch with a lab in Atlanta that has a home test kit for NED. Yeah. And he's told like when, like, some like 
someone where like, as an example, NR hasn't worked, adding apigenin in, you know, which would limit CD38, all of a sudden has made a big difference for them. So, cool. um, so yeah. it's, it's very individualized. Like, you know, I think you and I would expect that. We know how much, you know, genetics and polymorphisms mm -hmm. play into our responses. Yeah, for sure. And we just, we may know some of those, those markers and still have no clue on what the others are, right? I mean, there's so much still to learn. Okay, well, that was fascinating. So that's Qualia Life. Um, oh, well, one other, we did one other study, and this was, have you ever study. heard of a okay. device called the Age Meter? Sorry? Have you ever heard of the Age Meter? No. So it's, um, it's newish. I think we were among the first people that bought it, but it's, just, it's an iPad with an app that tests 12 things. So, you know, some of them are cognitive, like reaction times, highest audible pitch, working memory, and some are things like, you know, pulse doximetry or um, forced expertise. Like there's a, um, I mean, um, drawing a blank on the name, but basically like where you breathe really forcefully, right? So those right. apps are synced up to it. And so one of the things we, well, I did a, a two month study on life with 15 people for that. And one of the things that really shocked us is that higher, highest off pitch improved. So that basically it seemed like they're, like that's another thing that progressively declines with age is our ability to pick up these higher frequency sounds. And over those two months that improved, I think it was in 11 of the 15 people. So it was like interesting, but still very preliminary. Huh, that is interesting. I, I love this stuff. I wanna be one of those test subjects. <laughs> Someday. That one, you know, that one, we, I was having people come at, into the NeuroHacker Collective office. I actually had more people recruited, but had to pull the plug on it when California closed oh, everything the, down last spring. Right, right. So at that point, I just froze it. And, um, you know, anyways, um, it, it is, it does, it's a device that lends itself to an office setting. And we got it originally in part because we do a lot with cognition. And mm -hmm. so the reaction times and the working memory tests are just really for us to run on people before and after putting on a, a, a you know, a product we're de developing or yeah. developing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll never forget. And I don't know if I told you this, if I'd done it when we met, but I tested Qualia mind on myself using an EEG machine. You did tell me. Yeah. I think that yeah. was when we met in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Like the biohacker the, the, yeah. Like I, me. yeah. Like the, we, we broke, I broke open the capsules and drank it, which was nasty um slightly <laughs> unpleasant but um but you know so interesting to see specific parts of my brain responding differently than the next person or the next person or the next person and there's really no real reason to believe that any of these other supplements in some capacity i mean some more than others maybe i think neuro like the way the brain responds is maybe even more refined than nad pathways let's say um, but, um, I think anytime you can land on technology or a device or something that can give you insight into individual responses to these things, it's like crack, right? It's like, Ooh, how many people can I bring in? <laughs> so, yep. okay. Agree. Well, this has been amazing. We've talked about most of the things we were going to talk about. We didn't talk about the sleep one at all, but we'll, We'll get to that another day. We'll we'll talk about it. It'll, it's going to get its own podcast. How's that? Yeah. Well, we're actually, I mean, maybe um, we're planning to do a clinical study on it 
probably in the fall. So maybe you know, at some maybe point we'll that. get results back from that. We can, but yeah, it's an interesting product because um, it's not it's not a, something that you would take just before bed to help you fall asleep. It's really dinner time to help essentially our brain and body get into a more relaxed state so that we can get better quality sleep later when we choose to go to bed. So it's, um, you know, like I, I think of it as a nighttime nootropic. So yeah, no, it, it's interesting. And, and I will even, I find for myself that even a lot of the sleep formulas, I do better if I take them two or three hours before bed. Um, and, and I mean, part of that is I'm a slow metabolizer of melatonin, which I'm sure comes into play as well, but I definitely, you know, and, and I do think that part of what's interesting about qualia sleep, is it called qualia sleep? Night. Night. Qualia night is that in, in a way it almost gets people thinking about going to bed earlier and can that help them to create a better you know, kind of lead into bedtime so they can actually fall asleep, which is, you know, that whole sleep hygiene thing that people like me who are coaches are harping at people about. And people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to wear my blue blockers and pop my pills. And you're like, no, 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 it's just not going to happen. <laughs> like it's not going to work. So having a supplement that gets people maybe thinking about it at dinner time you know, maybe it has, there's a piece of that as well, just kind of setting yourself up mm -hmm. and getting that going. No, no, but no, yeah, I think you're right. Like a lot. So that, I mean, my simple metaphor for like falling asleep is that the sleep, sleep is like a bus pulls into the station, like every hour, maybe two hours somewhere, like on a schedule. If we're aware, like we f feel sleepy and noticed it coming into the station, that's our opportunity to get on board. Yes. But if we miss that bus, yeah. we don't just get to like say, okay, now I'm ready. Like, where are you bus? Like we have it's to- It's not wait. coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And so like part of, like I pay very close attention to when that sleepiness sensation starts to come on. And that's no matter what I'm doing, that's when I you know close up for the day and go to bed. But most of the people I've worked with over the years, that has not been the case. So mm -hmm. one of the things with taking Qualia Night three to four hours before, I think it can make that sleepiness signal be stronger because we're more relaxed. Like it's standing out from like what, what typically makes that signal drown in the noise is hyperarousal, like that wired and tired feeling. Right, right, right. right. So like, it, like night's much more oriented around things like reishi and ashwagandha and go to cola that are like brain herbs, but ones that are in that calming, relaxing category. Nice. So. All right. Okay. Save that for another day, Mr. Kelly. Sure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again Thank so you much. For having me. It's been great chatting and let's, uh, let's not wait two years again for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, 
just answered a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.